The Small Town Business Podcast is sponsored by Visit Gippsland, the land of many wonders. Head to visitgippsland.com.au to plan your trip. Whether it's walking and hiking or cycling or driving, camping, fishing, drinking and eating, you'll be exploring some of the most unforgettable destinations around. Head to their website or get inspired by their social media. All the links are in the show notes. I had no knowledge about how to run a corporate business. I think that desperation and my greenness probably came through. Next time you're sitting at the hairdresser watching your locks fall to the ground and get swept into the bin, spare a thought to what is actually being thrown away and what that human hair could be recycled into. Have I got your attention? Today I'm talking with Jackie from Soils Alive. She's such an interesting story to tell that takes us from small business to large corporation and back to small business after she got squeezed out of the company she built. How does that happen? And how does she come to be creating a fabulous product out of hair? Jackie has learned a lot over the years and here she is generously sharing those learnings with me from her home in the vibrant regional centre of Bendigo in Victoria. Been here five years, so just before the COVID boom, got here the right time. Absolutely love it. Love the space away from the concrete jungle, and I love the fact there's no peak hour traffic. So today we are going to be talking about your beautiful handcrafted plant food business, Soils Alive. Could you please you know, tell our listeners about this amazing product and how you make it and how it works and, and why it's so good? So what Soils Alive is, is actually soil conditioner, but the unique ingredient is human hair. It's kind of been in and out of research, but hasn't been a product that's been made commercially and the whole idea of Soils Alive is we want to create a zero-waste product. So human hair has some amazing nutritional values in it. So it's got carbon, nitrogen, hydrogen, silicon, oxygen. It has your 27 minerals, 18 amino acids. So that little bit of hair has so much punch to it. I've worked with a world-renowned scientist. She's a microbiologist. We have bugs, microbes and soils that love hair and convert it into nutrients for plants. And you used to be a hairdresser, right? Yeah, that's right. So who knew that hair could be something after you cut it and chuck it on the floor? And there must be so much. I mean, we've got like at least 30 hairdressers in my town and they're all cutting everyone's hair. There must be just so much of this stuff. I think from research is at about 400 tonnes. In Australia, it goes to landfill. I mean, obviously that will change with population growth. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a huge amount. Like because of the density of hair, you know, it's so light like feathers, it's a lot to actually make a kilo. But it's got the highest nutritional value compared to chook manure, cow manure, anything out there. I actually read your story recently in one of my favourite 
magazines, Oak, which is a fabulous voice for regional women in business. Big shout out to Oak Magazine because it's always a great read. The thing that really drew me to your story was that you had in fact gone down this path before and you'd built something, I guess, a lot bigger than Soils Alive and then found yourself kind of pushed out of that. I actually used to have a hairdressing salon, so small business owner and it was quite overwhelming. We had lots to do as a small business owner. You're not just the operator. You're doing your bookkeeping, you're doing your bass, you're doing your marketing, and you're literally holding everything to keep that business alive. So I said, the next business I own, I will have my own bookkeeper. I'll have all these prerequisites so I don't have to do the hard work. I'll just run it. So when I was finishing up the hair salon, there was a business for sales, a composting business. I thought, like, well, you know, I've recycled hair. I really want to go down this role of creating hair and turning it into a product. So I bought this farm. It was an old fee lot, has a composting license. It's like, yep, I can do this on my own. But as I walked in, took those steps deeper and deeper, I needed equity. And I'd already spent quite a fair bit of money buying the business and the land that I had exhausted all my financial capacities. So went out to like a conference and just uncannily met up with a business that I had known of and knew that they had issues or were kind of had issues managing their way. So knowing some of that background, I took leverage of that and decided to go visit their facility. I kind of put them in a position where I could solve their problems. As we know in business, you can solve a problem, you create a connection. So I said to them, you guys are based in urban Victoria. I'm in regional Victoria. If these issues arose, my facility could accommodate that and you would give some leverage to your financial and your capacity in receiving these greenways. So upon finishing that meeting, the first conversation was, are you interested in private equity? And because that's what I had manifested and really wanted, I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I was really excited. You know, I was like, oh, you know, so I've got this financial capacity. They would invest in it. I'll grow the business and I'll get it to my goal of being one of the biggest facilities in Victoria. But going into that, I had no knowledge about how to run a corporate business. And I think sometimes that desperation and my greenness probably came through and I can't look at now and think I was lucky I had a really good lawyer so he managed to put our shareholders agreement but walking into it had no idea what a shareholders meeting was what would happen to me what would happen to the business so I thought yep I've got the money I'm going to grow it but because there was so much money involved I lost my stake in the business being a small you know I come from a small business owner I'd full control around what I needed to, didn't have to report to anyone. When I got into this company, we had to report, which was fine, and we grew really, really well. But I think the biggest challenge was it was a very male-dominated business as well. Lots of learnings there. There's a lot of people and I'm in a lot of things like Facebook groups where businesses talk to each other and ask each other for advice and it amazes me how many times I see people say, I need an investor. Has anyone gone down this path before? And I mean, look, I, I don't comment on that stuff other than to say 
go get a lawyer, a lawyer who specializes in this stuff, because it must be so incredibly easy to slip up because people can take advantage of, of a lack of knowledge or a lack of experience. And, and when you're passionate about something and when it's your thing, you don't really think that you'll ever get squeezed out of it. Absolutely. And it's so I walk away now and think, what would I have done probably differently was one, ensured I had a good mentor and a good coach, just so that I could learn and how to position myself within the company. Two, what I did learn upon exiting the company was particularly for founders that it was quite common that fifth year into the business and if you've got a big corporate investor behind you, that you'll most likely be squeezed out. And that's 80% of founders are usually squeezed out in the fifth year. I might be wrong with those numbers, but from what a few people I spoke to, that's what they said. And I kind of look back and think, well, look, the lawyer did well and it wasn't the shareholders agreement was really important because without understanding what what it meant for me, especially when there's a major stakeholder and minor stakeholder and my shares of it, I had no idea. And that's where I think the trouble came upon me was that I look back and think, oh, what would have, would have, what did I have? What didn't I have? And because it was a financial contribution in regards to my stakeholdings, I didn't value what I brought to the company. Yeah, hard to put a price on that because you came with the company. Definitely some some great learnings in there, especially around the idea of making sure that you have a mentor or you have a coach or you have someone who you can learn from as you go, as well as having solid financial advice. It's not okay to wear all the hats when you step across that line and become a company, really, is it? Mm. No, that's right. And I think I look back and I thought I had quite clear values for the people that I wanted in the company. And at the time they met my values I look back and think now, well, as I grew, my values change and as they grew, their values change and we never came back together to make sure that we're still aligned. I spent a lot of time at work, my colleagues and my family, you know, and making sure that those who work for me are well nurtured. Unfortunately, sometimes in the corporate world, it's not about the relationships, it's about the revenue that you bring to the company. The business was in regional Victoria and I learnt that it was hard finding staff and if we had them, I'd keep them. I would nurture them, give them support, give them the education they need, training they required and make sure that they got the best of us and vice versa. Which is a beautiful way to do business, right? Absolutely, but coming from the city also, that's not their mentality. Coming from the city and the whole corporate world was, no, but they're not doing their job. They're not achieving their KPIs. Okay, but what are the KPIs? And what does leadership look to you guys? Because you're sitting there dictating this is how it should run, but have you connected with anyone that works and live in regional Victoria? Because the first thing I did was move here, acclimatise myself, got to know the neighbours, the farmers, and milk the cows because I had to feel like what it like to be a farmer. <laughs> But, you know, it's like embracing it. It's becoming embodied in what's going to be home for the business. Let's move this back to a more positive space, which is the business that you have now. I can see a beautiful picture 
gorgeous little baby on the wall behind you. So tell me a little bit about your family and how this business is fitting around that. I imagine it's a little bit nicer than the situation you were in before. Yeah, absolutely. So that's my daughter. She would have been probably about six months old. She's now seven and a half, going on to 15. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Full of zest for life. <laughs> I love the whole idea of running my business and knowing that if I go into partnership, which there is conversations of that occurring, that I get to run the show, I state my terms, my values. And what I want to do. So, you know, for school holidays have been fantastic because I can work around her time, whereas in the corporate world, it was very much still based on your four weeks annual leave. There's no give or take because there's no room for a mum and a child. You know, when I was in corporate advertising, you had four weeks off a year and that was it. <laughs> and you know, you could take unpaid leave and you could take sick leave and you could take, you know, any, any other kind of leave. But school holidays were just, um, yeah, would would have been a slog. I, I left that world when my babies were young. One of the other things that we talked about with your business, Soils Alive, was that that wasn't the original name that you had. And that's significant for a few reasons. Oh, look, I had a few different name changes. It's one of those things, what does the name mean for my business? I was part of a startup entrepreneurial program and they needed a name. So I thought, what am I going to call it? I had this product and I still struggled with the name. So I thought, hair, it's powerful. So I came up with the name Hair Powered Compost. And I hadn't really tested the market. I thought, this is how I'm going to test the market because how do I know until I get out there? So Went to the local printer, said, look, I've got this business name. It's called Hair Power Compost. Can you please do a logo for me? Do the design. I want something fun. And they did. And it was fun. It was cartoonish. And I thought, oh, this looks like fun. <laughs> Took it to market and, geez, I got some interesting feedback. So we had the Sustainable Festival and I thought, well, that's what I'm targeting for. I want to go out there, launch my product there. It's appropriate. I got some good feedback, which was, yep, okay, hair, that's great. And then there was like, what is this for? Is it for my head? I was like, right, okay, I'm going to ignore that. So I went to another market, hair power compost, and I just, and same thing, people come here, is this for your head? It's like, oh, serious? So the cartoon I had was, was someone's head with plants growing something, watering it. So I thought, I thought that white gave a picture of hair plants growing watering. then I realized because it's such a unique product people didn't get it and everywhere you go so when I think of hair hair conditioner hair gel hair mousse hair this so I got it it was like oh people just because of our psychology assumed it's for hair and I think it was one of those things what do I do it was a bit of a setback but I knew that there wasn't anything wrong with the product. It's just how I'm going to deliver it. What do I want to look like? Yes, I wanted it to be fun, but maybe fun wasn't the right way of presenting it. Maybe fun is more the way I market on Instagram or on Facebook. I can take little jokes out of it, but not what I want to look like. It was hard because I wanted people to, to kind of have this feeling that their hair is helping the soils and that is living organism because we think the hair is dead but still alive. So how do I get the message through? 
I said, well, that Saul's love. I thought, yeah, I don't mind that. We went with it. I said, if it doesn't work, I'll just rechange it again. It, it, it's a name. And I think we look at some big businesses. They've changed their names multiple times before they hit it on the head. It's interesting in Instagram where you talk about soils and compost, we don't get lots of likes. <laughs> of course. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not the sexiest product, is it? No, and I, and I, can't, I, I like to. So I said the whole of the thing was I want to make it look sexy. I want to be beautiful because it is beautiful what we're doing and taking away that, and I don't like the word ickiness, but when I had the hair power compost, it's that association of hair's icky, it's yucky. And I'll tell a story with one of my neighbours. We used to cut the hair by hand. So the hair doesn't come in clumps. They come in two, three millimetres. So before I got to finding a prototype, we had to cut it manually. And that was excruciating. So my neighbour comes up and says, Jackie, what are you doing? I said, I'm cutting hair. She's like, what? where did you get that hair? I said, from the hair salon. Whose hair is? I said, probably yours. She's like, Ooh. <laughs> and I said to her, so how much did you spend your hair last month? She goes, oh, I spent 300 and something dollars it last month. I was like, oh, my goodness, your hair's really expensive. <laughs> it must be good. But you're a hairdresser, so hair's not going to gross you out. The thing about having a product like that is that sometimes when it comes time to market it, it's not necessarily the product that you need to show over and over again. It's actually the results. So whilst compost isn't the sexiest, beautiful green indoor plants and gorgeous ripe tomatoes and kids playing in the dirt and growing things and, you know, that that's all really beautiful content and that's what people want to achieve. You don't need to necessarily talk too much about the hair. You just need to keep telling them that it works. You're very right inside that, Erica, because I've had to sit and evaluate the way that I get this message through. And I do talk a lot about the hair because that's where I'm at with it. But someone said to me, I don't think people care about the hair. They just want to see the results. So it's my nerdiness that comes out because I sit because, you know, I produce it at home, it's handcrafted, I spend time on microscope looking at, you know, the bugs and like, oh, this is what it does. I've got that attachment. But for the audience, they don't care. They don't want to see my bugs running around. <laughs> No, they don't. And they might not necessarily connect with seeing the the hair sort of element as well. When you're thinking about the, the different audiences that you have, one of your one of your customer bases, one of your audiences is going to be definitely into it from that sustainability point of view. And they're the people that you're going to be talking to at these sustainability fairs and you know and they're super into it and they want to know all about the bugs. But then there's just your regular person who likes gardening and they just want to know that it's a product that works. So you're in Bendigo and I imagine there's, well, I, I don't imagine, I know there's a really beautiful business community in that area. Have you been uh, involved? Have you been kind of you know building a little business community around yourself as a small business owner? Starting to. So COVID obviously took us away from any uh, connections and meeting face-to-face. I'm part of Benigo Sustainability Group, 
which obviously um, is one of my passions. So through there we just do environmental stuff. But I have to shout out to Oak Magazine. Through Oak Magazine, I've connected with a few people. One lady is Sarah from Curium Legal. So like I mentioned before, I'm in the process of finalising another partnership. So I've got her to do my legal my shareholders agreement and that's been, and she's been fantastic to work with and Natalie from Words on a Page. And those people we've connected with and yourself, obviously, Erica, which I think has been fantastic. So I think it's slowly building that momentum, connections and community for me. There's something really lovely about when you find yourself in in that space with those people. It, sometimes it's women, sometimes it's, you know, all gender, but you find yourself in a space where things just start to happen and you start to find people that, that you get along with, that you have shared values with, that can actually help each other, that aren't just after more selfish gains. And, and it's really nice. Absolutely. And, and I, think, I think what I love out of, out of this is that when you meet the right people, you can just talk and talk and talk and talk and they get you. You know, if I was to talk business with some of my friends, <laughs> the eyes glaze over, <laughs> the doors are closed. Nobody wants to hear that. It's like when you have a baby <laughs> and you just want to talk about your baby. And that's why mother's groups are so amazing because your mother's group is where you can talk about every little detail about your baby and everybody gets it and everybody's super into it. It's the same with your business baby, you know, when you when you start something like that. So Jackie, you moved to Bendigo five years ago. What is the best thing about working in a regional center like that? What's, what's been the real difference that it's made to your work or to your life? Honestly, I think regional is the fresh air and the ability to connect when I was in St Kilda, we did have a lovely community, but it was really hard work trying to build that. For us, I, t- I found in Bendigo, it was a bit easier. It was quite welcoming. So I started off with the Bendigo Sustainability Group and through there we kind of branched out to meet more people. Um, I said the last two years during COVID, that was non-existent. But coming out of that, it just feels easy. And there's always someone there prepared to help to connect the dots. I do hear, though, sometimes it's a bit clicky. I haven't found that. I think a lot of towns have clicks that can be hard to break into, but also I think they're not your people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. I'm sure that my listeners will get a lot out of this discussion and hopefully they will go and check you out. Do you want to tell us where we can find you online. Sure, you can join me on Instagram at Souls Alive, so S-O-I-L-Z Alive, or you can visit my website um, www.soulsalive.com.au and same handle on Facebook. Can we buy your product directly from your website? You can. Um, you can buy it directly off me and we're looking to build up some stockers around the region. I've been very fortunate that in Bendigo we've got quite a few, probably half a dozen stockers in the region and hoping to branch out towards, you know, outside the region in the new year. 
Small Town Business was recorded on the lands of the Gunai Kurnai, and I would like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Big thanks to Chris at Jetstreamer for production and editing support. I'd be talking into a tin can without you. Don't forget to subscribe or follow, and if you like what you hear, please write a review to help me reach more people. Thanks for listening. 